0: Well, before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe, who sanctifies us with His commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Normally. We have messages that are focused on the Torah reading and the Haftorah and the Breda Chadasha reading, but as we're approaching Purim, which will be celebrated this coming week, I wanted to speak to some of the themes of Purim and encourage you to get ready for Purim by reading the Book of Esther, which is a book dedicated to a Jewish beauty queen who turned out to be a hero for the Jewish people. And uh, I want you also to be thinking about the issue of anti-Semitism, and tonight I want to address that. I want to connect the the celebration of Purim with the modern and historical issue of anti-Semitism. And uh, I, I have some notes here that I just want to share with you. My wife, Sandy, reads the scriptures consistently and keeps notes about the scriptures that really touch her. She writes them in a journal, and a few days ago she started her 59th journal, number 59, with notes um, at the beginning. This was like her introduction for herself. And she wrote, we're at a time in history when anti-Semitism is not just bubbling up here and there, rather there's been a shift in tectonic plates and anti-Semitism is spewing from deep wells and gushing forth in regions and countries all over the world. Someone who read her words asked her what she was thinking of, you know, was there an event? And this was her response. I'm combing through articles I've read just in the last few weeks. Everything from anti-Semitism and international chess competition to the BDS movement elbowing its ways into Eurovision finals, to Berlin being named the most anti-Semitic city in Europe, yet British Jews applying for German nationality in light of Brexit, and then on to the USA with hate crimes on the rise, primarily due to anti-Semitism. Congresswoman AOC, Sarsour, and other Women's March organizers the lack of rebuke by Democrats, to Congresswoman's Ilana mar's anti-Semitic um, statements, and what is termed her hatred of Israel. And then on to last Sunday's lurid Belgian floats, and how quickly forgotten is the October 27th, 2018 massacre at a Shabbat service in Pittsburgh. That's the short list. If you're familiar with all those events and all those situations, then you're keeping well informed. But if if you found yourself with question marks, like, well, what's she talking about? Then I would encourage you to decrease your news consumption of some other things and increase your awareness and start paying attention to current events that are touching the Jewish people. To be Messianic means to stand with the Jewish Messiah and to stand with the Jewish people and to put Yeshua the Messiah front and center. And when we elevate him so that everyone can focus their attention on him and when we declare that he himself is the promised Messiah for the Jewish people, we stir things up. We stir things up in the spiritual world and you can find probably many people who you know and love who misunderstand you and what you're doing and what you're all about. How many have family and friends who just don't get, they don't get you? I mean, they get you, but they don't get what you're doing. How many of you have felt either direct or subtle anti-Semitism coming forth from family and friends who make statements or, uh, have body language that communicates it to you. Many I know have experienced that. Well, as we're getting ready for Purim, it's time to be alert to anti-Semitism, and it's, it's the one holiday that recalls the murderous anti-Semitism that the Jews faced in ancient Persia. And it reminds us that God's plan was to rescue the Jewish people so that they could continue to live and to live in that land. That's very important. Anti-Semitism wants Jews to leave the land and they don't want Jews to live. So they want them not to live in the land where they are, but they also want them not to live. I remember Sandy and I were in Moscow in the early 90s during an outreach and uh, an interesting journalist proposed that, that several of us meet with a guy that uh, he described as a moderate anti-Semite. And this guy did not appear that way to me. But I asked the journalist, why do you think he's moderate? And he said, well, he just wants all the Jews to leave Russia. He doesn't want to kill them. That was the definition of being moderate. Well, there's always a need to discern God's plans because safety and redemption can come many different ways. And as Mordecai told Esther, don't think that that you can hide and don't think that no one will discover that you're Jewish. And his advice to his niece was stand together with us, with our Jewish people, and for us, and redemption will come. God will use you. He's put you in this place, in this position, just for that. Purim reminds us that we can't just escape anti-Semitism. Sometimes we have to confront it head-on. Now, if you read the the writings of Theodore Herzl, who was the founder of uh, political Zionism, and really the one who initiated the movement among European Jews and European nations for the founding of the, state, the modern state of Israel. One of Herzl's arguments was that there will always be anti-Semitism, and for that reason, We need to have a homeland for the Jews reestablished in the historic homeland of the Jews. And uh, I think he was right. We continue to need Israel as a homeland for the Jews. Not just as the holy land, but as the homeland for the Jews. Not that all the Jews need to be in Israel, but we need Israel for the sake of all the Jews. But Purim reminds us that we can't just run away. So, if you think you can and you run to Israel to escape anti Semitism, you'll be shocked and surprised because anti Semitism exists in the Middle East and in the territories all around. Sometimes we need to stay put. That's one of the messages of Purim. Some people like the message of Exodus. When you're in big trouble for a long time and you can't take it anymore, get out of town. (laughs) But there are times when God says, don't run, don't hide, stay put, because I want to do a mighty work among you. And it's so important to grasp that because Purim reminds us that some victories require that we stand our ground, that we stay put, that we don't give up or give in and just run away. But it also reminds us that some victories must first be accomplished through fasting and prayer. And only after that can they be accomplished in the social or the governmental realm. It's a mistake to only engage in social action or governmental politics. There's a time for fasting and prayer. We need to humble ourselves before God. We need to seek his face. We need to ask for his help and for his direction. And when we're in trouble, we especially need to do it. Purim also reminds us that some people who seem to be part of the problem, like King Ahasuerus, who was part of the problem, because he was the one who appointed Haman. He was the one who who was signing the edicts that uh, Haman had uh, against the Jews. The one who was part of the problem, the king, actually became part of the solution. So it's important to hold on to that so that you don't fall into this very narrow way of thinking that someone who's trouble for us now will always be trouble for us, Sometimes the ones who are the source of trouble or giving cover to those who have evil plans can be used by God to rescue the Jewish people. Like many Jewish people, I experienced anti Semitism as a child, and all through the decades of my life, my family taught me to expect anti Semitism. But I want, to, I, I want to be very clear about this. They taught me to expect it, but not to be afraid of it, not to be intimidated by it, and uh, not to be traumatized. And they taught me not to hide my Jewishness and not to think that we would just be powerless victims, but rather that we could stand up and that we could build bridges of understanding. We could build bridges between Jews and Christians. We could build bridges between ethnic minorities. We could stand up, not just for ourselves, but for the rights of others, for the rights of minorities, for the rights of those who were being persecuted or oppressed who weren't Jewish. And my family taught me that if we stood up for others, not just for ourselves, we would be even stronger, and we would be even better for it. It's important to be able to stand up for yourself, but it's also important to have courage, moral courage, to stand up for others, even when it puts you at risk. Now, tonight I wanna share just a a few thoughts on the nature of historic and modern anti-Semitism. And I want this to just to whet your appetite. In the weeks and months ahead, we'll have some, uh, some more teaching on this, and some more resources that will be useful for you, I believe, so that you can be well-equipped both to understand and to communicate with people uh, about antisemitism. Now, one of the books that really shaped my perspective is a book called Babi Yar. It was written by Anatoly Kuznetsov, And it's about a massacre of Jewish people in Kiev, Ukraine, during the time of the Nazis. And to read about Babi Yar, and then to go to Babi Yar, and to meet even people who were at Babi Yar, but somehow miraculously survived it has really shaped my understanding about anti-Semitism and caused me to think that the anti-Semitism I've experienced is relatively uh, mild compared to other forms, because I'm alive. Oh, we did get beat up as kids, especially at the Christian holidays, seriously. At uh, Easter, And at Christmas, that was a favorite time for the kids in our neighborhood to bully us and accuse us of killing Jesus. Um, And so those holidays weren't really our favorites because of the association and the experience. But it was nothing like what the the Jewish people faced in Kiev or in the lands of the Holocaust. Holocaust. Another book that I found really compelling by an author named Jonathan Kaufman is called A Hole in the Heart of the World. And it's based on interviews with uh, six people and families in Hungary who went through the Holocaust. And uh, Sandy and I lived in Hungary for a number of years as well. We have family that came from Hungary And so um, Hungary itself was simultaneously dear to us and it was full of a sense of danger as well because of the history. And the author made a comment in the book that he saw how dispensable the Jewish people were to so many uh, during the time of the Holocaust. That there were people all over the world who thought it's of no consequence if the Jewish people disappear through genocide and murder. And to actually have to find your way back into society after having been treated in that way was was difficult for many Jews who lived in the land of the Holocaust. When Sandy and I lived in Budapest and when we lived in Kiev, Uh, Ukraine. we we found so many Jewish people who were in hiding because of the fear of anti-Semitism. In fact, it wasn't uncommon. This happened almost every day that we would meet someone whose Jewish family had told them that they weren't Jews. So they didn't know they were Jews. They absolutely had no idea they were Jews. They had taken assimilated names, Hungarian names, or Russian names as an example, and they were told they're Russian, they were told they're Hungarian, and then something happens, usually in association with them coming to the Lord. It's an interesting thing. In coming to the Lord, they discover who they really are. Not just at a spiritual level, but at every level of identity. There were times when it was almost like a Saturday Night Live skit to see some of the people who were so clearly Jewish, but when they looked in the mirror, they saw something else. They couldn't see their own faces in the mirror. They were afraid, their family was afraid. Their family thought the only way we can protect our children and our grandchildren is to hide from them the knowledge of their Jewishness so that they will never be found as Jews if and when things get worse again. It was so common. When we were proposing to do an outreach in Budapest, I received a a phone call that was a threat and a summons to come meet with all the local Jewish community leaders um, because they were so opposed to what we were doing. And I thought it was just that they were opposed to us because we're Messianic. But there was more to it than that. When we met with them, they told us that the only way Jewish people can survive there in Hungary is to be quiet and to be uh, like hidden away where people don't notice them. And we said, we don't agree. And they said, you're gonna just create trouble, you're gonna stir up the anti-Semites because if you're visible and public and loud about being Jews, in Budapest, the anti-Semites will rise up in strength to oppose you, and it will hurt all of us. And we didn't agree. We said, the worst thing we think that you can do is to hide in fear because of the anti-Semites, because the fear of them is all it takes to put you in hiding. They don't even have to do anything. And then we said, you know that there are many Christians who know that their Messiah was born a Jew in Israel, circumcised on the eighth day, celebrated Shabbat, kept the Pesach, and I went on and on. And uh, their response surprised me. They got afraid. Spiritually, they were like trembling, many of them. But there was another thing. They said, if you talk like that in public, the Christians will attack us for stealing their God. I couldn't have imagined that. But that was really their statement. So there have been experiences that uh, Jewish people had in Budapest, in Ukraine, and elsewhere, that, that tempered and shaped their perspective about life. And only when we were close together could we experience it firsthand ourselves. And to deal with that sense of fear that the communities had. Now there's one more book tonight I want to introduce to you. Or just refer to, it's by Edward H. Flannery called The Anguish of the Jews. And I'm looking at the revised and updated version that was uh, published in 1985. And in 1985, it has a, has a section called The Last 25 Years. It's an interesting book that, that looks at the ancient world all the way up into modern times. And then it looks at the period from 1960 to 1985 in one of the chapters. And I was reviewing it. And I was shocked by what it said. Because it was was covering some of the issues I thought I'd have to work hard to dig up for good resources to deal with modern anti-Semitism. It was talking about anti-Semitism on the college campuses. It was talking about anti-Semitism joined together with anti-Zionism. It was talking about Muslim anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism on the right, and then a whole section about anti-Semitism on the left. And I, I was shocked because the idea of anti-Semitism on the left today in America is, uh, is considered by some folks to be a strange idea. There are some Jews who think the only anti-Semitism comes from right-wingers. And they are ignorant of or blind to the anti-Semitism that comes from the left wing and perhaps don't even understand it. And I, I'm, I'm not talking so much about parties. You know, it's not, I'm not talking about the political parties of the Republicans or the political party of the Democrats. I'm talking about something else. Political spectrum um, is, is what I'm focusing on. But I, I took some note Let me just read to you, this is from 1985. This has nothing to do with today's political climate and situation, but it has everything to do with what hasn't changed. So listen to this. Anti-Semitism is generally considered by both Jews and non-Jews to be a phenomenon of the right. And certainly in modern times, this most spectacular displays exemplified by Tsarist pogroms, the Dreyfus Affair, Hitler and chauvinistic demagogues have tended to justify that interpretation. But this view has tended to eclipse the fact that there has been an uninterrupted strain of anti-Semitism on the left. And it goes on and on and on to go into the details of it. And, and then skipping over, I'll, I'll skip a, a lot of details, But it it does cover how young people in the left and the far left have often sided against Israel um, because of of, uh, their ideologies. And then it says this, the connection between the ideology of the left and anti-Semitism is not accidental. An inevitable tension exists between leftist traditions and those which stress nationality, peoplehood, or religious commitment. And, and it goes on. I can't go into all the details here, but the basic idea is the left is, is oriented to ideologies that celebrate certain values but reject other values, including ethnicity and religious values and wants to sort of blur everybody together into one, one, one kind of group that has no ethnicity, and that has uh, no religion as well. It tends to move in that direction. Now, what surprised me is that is writing this in 1985 because he knows nothing, for instance, of Donald Trump. He doesn't know anything about Barack Obama and Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton. He knows nothing of those people because he's not talking about today's Republicans and today's Democrats or yesterday's, but he's talking about the forces at work within the political spectrums, and he does a clear clear and thorough, I think, analysis of looking at anti-Semitism on the right and looking at it on the left. And that should help us, I think, to understand something, that there are anti-Semites of every political spectrum. It's not just one. And you can have anti-Semites from every region of America, not just one. There are racists all over America. How many of you know that? It, it's not like there's one place in America where all the racists live. In the same way, there's anti-Semitism all over. Now, that doesn't mean we should just give up and say, ah, wow, 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 what are we gonna do? Like there's no hope. We need to learn to stand up against that kind of hatred both of the Jewish people and what God values. It's important to be able to do that and to stand up and to stand together. So there is anti-Semitism on college campuses, primarily among the young, but also among professors. There's anti-Semitism among those on the left. There's anti-Semitism on those on the right. And there, there's anti-Semitism from religious folk. There are Christian anti-Semites. There are Muslim anti-Semites. But when we get to the part about anti-Zionism, you'll find this. There are Jewish anti-Zionists. There are Jews who hate the state of Israel. There are Jews who hate other Jews because they're not like them as Jews. There are Jews who, who feel like The Holocaust is God's judgment against uh, any Jew that doesn't hold to their orthodoxy and religious values. It's a terrible way of thinking. There's uh, anti-Semitism because of ethnic hatred and because of conflict, ethnic conflict, where people just hate each other because... That's how they're accustomed to dealing with their differences with each other. Well, I want to I just weigh your appetite. I don't really want to go any further, though I encourage you to go further and read Flannery and read Bobby Yar, read A Hole in the Heart of the World, and start educating yourself. And we're going to continue and provide resources for you. And look... At, in detail about certain forms of modern antisemitism, how it's emerging, and then how we can respond to it, and how we can develop clear articulated positions um, in response to anti-Semitism. So that will be my goal, and I think it's a worthy goal that will take us some time. So it's not gonna be our steady diet, but it will, we, will, we will have some more uh, next week on anti-Zionism and where it's going these days. And then the following week, we will have a guest from Toronto, Canada, the rabbi from City of David Messianic Synagogue, Rabbi Jeff Foreman and his wife, Janet. And Rabbi Jeff will be presenting a mini seminar on Yeshua in the Torah and Yeshua in the Tanakh um, on Friday night and Saturday night, the last weekend of uh, this month, and I encourage you, come to both. It's going to be an outstanding time for uh, equipping you to see Yeshua in the scriptures, in Torah, from, from the very beginning, from Genesis to Malachi, and to see how Yeshua the Messiah is uh, is both promised and revealed in the Jewish scriptures. It'll be a useful time for you and a wonderful time if if you like, if you have friends or family who are asking you why you think this way, why do you have this understanding about Yeshua, then it'd be a great time to bring them because uh, it'll be a powerful mini-seminar for you. So I want to just pray right now as we're getting ready for Purim this coming week that you would be bold and that you would also work hard to educate yourselves to read, to study, to learn, to pay attention, to be alert about these matters. Thank you, Lord. You've called us to be alert. You've called us to have discernment. You've called us to pay attention so that we can pray and so that we can take appropriate stands when necessary. You've called us to be equipped so that we can explain to others the source of our hope and the cause of of our confidence. And I pray that you would give us hearts to speak both to anti-Semites and Philo-Semites, that we could bring to all the good news of Yeshua the Messiah. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. if you would please rise, and if you're standing by yourself, if you don't mind moving just a little bit so that you're not standing by yourself, that will be great. Shalom. The Lord bless you.